All right, welcome to the harbor. If this is your first time here or your 10th time or your 100th time, I'm glad you made it today. Um, this is a good opportunity for you uh, just to put your phone on vibrate. Good reminder for me as well or silent. Uh, don't let that thing be a distraction for you. Um, but man, let's give this time to the Lord. Let's allow the Lord just to speak to us um, and to work in us. And so this is, this is a good time to, to get rid of those distractions. If you're sitting next to that special somebody that you, uh, that you love so dearly, um, maybe you'll go from this motion to just this motion, knowing that uh, it's very unlikely that they will disappear or lose love for you um, during this message if you're not touching them. So, uh, but it allows you to focus without worrying, am I rubbing at the right speed on her shoulder? Um, hey, hey ladies, you don't know the mind of a man. He's like, okay, is this a, does she like this? I think so. Um, all right. So if you haven't been here, I'm going to catch you up real quick. We've been going through a relationship goals series where we've been just been talking about what does it take um, to have successful relationships, not only now, but in the future. We looked at what being single was, that single is not alone, that a lot of us are like, man, I'm single, meaning I'm alone and, I, and I'm by myself and I'm depressed. No, single is understanding you're unique, that there is no one like you, that God has, has made zero people like you with your fingerprints um, and, and your characteristics, that you are single, and that it takes embracing that and standing on the foundation of who God is and who he says you are and whose you are to have successful relationships. And that in dating, dating is not how we practice for marriage. Dating is how we find someone to marry. To marry. And engagement, we check that yoke, man. Is it someone who loves Jesus, who's headed in the same direction as me? And then tonight we're going to talk about marriage. But I want to talk about love and marriage because they go so closely together that without love, your marriage will always fail. That without love, every relationship you have, friendship, dating, whatever, will fail. Without love, it'll fail. The problem is how we define love, that a lot of people are in here, you're victims of that person telling you that they love you, or maybe you may be a perpetrator in that of telling someone, hey, we, I know we've been dating for two weeks, but they have felt like two months. And, and that felt like almost two years. And I love you, right? Like you were there and you're like, okay, and then I kind of love you too, all right? I feel guilty for not saying it back, so I'm gonna say it. And that's, that's what I wanna redefine. What is true love? Uh, But before I do, I'm just gonna pray. If y'all will uh, just go with me uh, to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this night. I thank you for bringing these students at this time. Lord, I thank you um, for the message that you have for us. God, I ask that you would use me to communicate it clearly. That you would use all the gifts and the abilities that you've given me to speak your truth um, in an accurate manner that I would not um, take anything away from uh, the fullness of it. And Lord, I ask that you would give these students right now ears to hear your truth and a mind to understand and comprehend it, a heart to receive it. Lord, that we would walk away with a better understanding of love and a better understanding of the love that you have defined by your sacrifice. God, we thank you for all you do. 
and ask you to bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Any of you out here into poetry? Yeah, okay, maybe one, two. Okay, cool. I'm going to read a poem for you. I'm going to read a poem, a poem, a poem. I don't know. Okay, I think that's the way it's said. Maybe you'll recognize the author when I read it. <clears throat> it's called My Heart's Song. Eyes cannot see the rhapsody that plays for thee. And ears cannot hear. They don't like poems. Y'all don't like poems? It's fine. Ears cannot, I'm just giving you a hard time. Ears cannot hear its music sounding crisp and clear. Only the heart can feel its beat in every part. Of my heart's song playing true, less I love you. Less is the lady's name that he's writing the poem to. Less I love you, less I love you. Go ring the bells, sound loud and clear, and sing my song that all may hear. Less I love you, less I love you. This is a a poem from a husband to a wife, and the man is writing to his wife named Less, and he's saying, people can't hear the song, the melody that my heart makes for you. What it's saying Every beat is less, I love you, less, I love you. You know who, uh, anybody recognize that poem? The, the author's name is William H. Terry Jr. The name stands, the H stands for Henry. Um, my son's name is Levi Henry Waldrop. He was named after that man. That man is my grandfather. And he wrote, it really is amazing, he wrote that whole book of poems. Several of them in there are written to my grandmother, Lessie Lee Terry. And at the time, he wrote that in 1987. That's the same year I was born. And at the time, when he wrote, I love you, to my grandmother, he had no clue how much love would cost him. See, it was about that same time that my grandmother was diagnosed with manic depression. Manic depression takes you, what they call it, bipolar, and it takes you from, it's a chemical imbalance in your mind that brings you to this place of extreme highs. You feel like you can conquer the world, you you don't feel pain, that you don't sleep for days, that you are just going. My grandmother always liked crafts. She made my mom's wedding dress. Like, that's, like, I'm gonna just say that again. You didn't hear that. She made my mom's wedding dress and it looked all right. My mom didn't have a pair of jeans from the store until she was 12. That she made every pair of blue jeans my mom ever owned until she was 12. She loved crafts, and so when she'd get real manic, she would go and, and she would go just buy stuff and make stuff like crazy. And then the other side of manic depression is depression, <laughs> is depression. And it's the lowest of lows where you don't want to eat and you don't want to wake up and you don't want to move and you just want your life to end that my grandmother began this journey of a manic, depressive life where she would go high and then she would go low. And I remember being, um, growing up with my grandmother like that, that a lot of times we would show up and she'd be like the coolest grandmother in the world because she's just like, woo, 
like a grandma on drugs. And, and she would go to Walmart and buy thousands of dollars worth of stuff because she was just buying stuff. And then the next day, my grandfather would have to go back and explain to the people at Walmart what was wrong with my grandmother and take it all back, hoping they would give him some money back. Well, then she slipped into a place of dementia where your brain gets burned enough that you end up uh, not being able, and you stop going from manic depressive to, to kind of just a state of incognition where you don't, you're not really cognitively thinking about things. It's just a fog. You lose um, your ability to speak clearly, to control your volume, to um, accurately display emotion. That my grandmother, uh, and I just remember the, this, that like there'd be times she came and visited us and she was so high and, and she was so off from medicine. This is what causes the dementia that we literally had to call the police and they had to arrest her and put her in the back. My grandmother, who loves Jesus, who, who is like this well-to-do woman. My grandfather was president of a bank. He like owned a bank. He, he was president of all these clubs, like well established people and a police officer is putting my grandmother in the back of a cop car because she cannot be restrained and once she calms down we put her in the back of my dad's truck with the child locks on and drive her to a mental institution where they admit her and force her to take medicine so that she will come off of the high and sitting in there and her not recognizing people. Like those are the things that come to mind when I think about this disease. And then she moved to this place of dementia where now she can't talk and she can't walk very well and she can't communicate emotion very well. And I bring my great, my, her great grandchildren to her this last week in Texas. I visited and I brought Kennedy, my precious daughter in front of my grandmother her great-granddaughter and she sees her and you see that in her eyes that she sees her and she begins to tear up and then she just screams because she can't control what's coming out of her mouth and my grandfather when he wrote I love you in that poem had no idea what that would cost because now every day for my grandfather is taking care of my grandmother that every day he wakes up and feeds my grandmother and has to brush her hair and her teeth have fallen out of her head that her mouth is rotting because he could not brush her teeth. She would not allow him to. That she, he has to get her dressed. He has to bathe her. He has to put her on the toilet. He has to change her diapers. That he has chronic back problems now because of lifting my grandmother up off of the floor. That he doesn't get to do what he wants every day, but every part of his schedule is focused on caring for my grandmother. That he will die caring for her. That likely the stress she has caused in his life, she will outlive him. This is a man who has all the money that you could have, millions of dollars, who could afford to put her in any senior living facility in this country. But he doesn't. And when I ask why, he'll tell you two things. 
is one, because I love her. Two, because I promised. There's a time in her life where she, and still now she'll have these little spurts of, of sanity. These little windows into her mind and into what she's dealing with. And one of those windows, she looked at my grandfather and said, Bill, I need you to make me a promise. And he said, what is that? She said, promise you'll never put me in a home. And right then and there, he promised to my grandfather and to my grandmother. And so being a man of his word, instead of finding people to care for her and going on and living his life, he has sacrificed everything for this woman who he has proclaimed to love. Who more than 50 years ago he stood at an altar with and vowed his life to. Who today he is still living that out. That it irks me sometimes so hard. Like it hits my core sometimes. The way that I hear people professing their love over these meaningless relationships that mean something in the moment but really aren't a big deal. And yet they're making these commitments to each other with no way to back it up. That if you want a picture of love, you need to look at Bill and Les Terry. That it's a man who said, I will change your diapers. That's what love is. That's what love looks like. First Corinthians says it like this. Love is patient and kind. The love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This love... Is a love that God says, here is what love truly is. In 1 John 4, he said, love is sacrificial. That the outcropping of your love is sacrifice. He said it in this way. He said that, that it, we didn't love him, but that he loved us. And this is love that one man should give up his life for another. That he showed his love in the death of Jesus, his son. He said, I love you so much that I will sacrifice. That I will lose my son to gain you. That love is sacrificial. That our world wants to say that love is something that we can fall in and fall out of. That love is something that can happen at first sight. But the definition of love by God's Bible and his example says love is not something that you can fall in. And love is not something that, ooh, I'm falling out of love with them. That love is not something that just happens. That is lust. That we fall in and out of lust. Where we desire someone where we see someone. And it's that moment, guys, where we're like, dang, she's hot. 
That's lust. That's not love. Love is something we choose to do. Love is something where we see someone and we are attracted to them and then we say, man, I am going to love you. I am going to sacrifice for you. I am going to put your needs above my own. I'm going to be patient and kind. I'm not going to insist on my own way. I'm going to love you. That when a lot of you think of marriage, you think instantly of your parents' marriage and the experience that you've seen other people having in marriage. And so you see people who have fallen out of love and who have fallen in love. You see maybe a broken marriage in your family. You see maybe multiple marriages in your family. Maybe if you're like me and and you are blessed with parents who who truly have fought for their marriage, that, that they still have a relationship. But love is what makes a marriage work. Whether you decide to love someone regardless of their wrongdoings, regardless of what they've done or they deserve, that love, the outcropping, is always sacrifice. That it always looks like you putting someone else before yourself. If you jump to the first part of 1 Corinthians, so I just read 4 through 7, but if you, and I skipped 1 through 3, but if you went to 1 through 3, it says this, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove, as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. That a lot of relationships don't work even though people are professing their love. It's because it is simply words and is not backed by sacrifice. That is simply me professing what I feel for someone without ever backing up that feeling with action. He says, man, it's, it, it, you gain nothing. In the context of the scripture, he's actually talking to the church and he's talking to these people who have spiritual gifts and who have a lot of potential to do a lot for the kingdom. And he says, man, you can have all of this stuff and you can have all of these gifts, but if you have not love, then you have nothing. If you aren't willing to truly live out what Jesus did for you in front of someone else, then you have a pointless witness, that your witness is weak, that people will not come to know the hope and the truth of Jesus through you without love. And the same is for our marriage. That if we are going to prepare for marriage, then we have got to learn to love now. 
That when you get to the wedding day and you're standing in front of your future spouse and they say, do you take this person to be your lawfully wedded, blah, blah, blah. We all saw the royal wedding, right? And everyone's like, here's your vows. I'm going to like live with you and I'm going to share all my money. And, 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 and if I'm sick, then you're going to take care of me. You're sick. I'm going to take care of you. And it's just this whole thing. But if you have not learned to love before then, then you will not know how to love after then. That the marriage will only be a shell of words and vows that will break and will crumble under the weight of life if love is not there to support it. When I talked about dating, I told you that a person doesn't get better when you get married, but when you are dating them, that is the best that they will be. You are seeing them at their best. And yet we live in a culture of puppy dog love. But what I told you earlier is that is lust. You want to know the difference in love and lust? Lust says that I will fulfill my own needs, my own wants, rather. Love says I'm going to fulfill someone else's needs. So if you are the victim of someone saying, hey, I love you, I want you to really think about their motives. Because do they say I love you and try to cuddle up close? They're trying to fulfill their wants. Lust says, man, I see something that I want. Then I'm pursuing something that I want. The dictionary describes it as a strong desire for something. To lust after someone is to strongly desire them. To love after someone is to strongly sacrifice for them. Lust says, give me what I want. Love says, let me help you with what you need. That if we don't learn to love now, then our marriage will never last later. That's the beauty of the Bible. That it's always in the right time. That a lot of people say, well, man, that's going to be down the road. When I come to that bridge, I'll learn to cross it. No, you've got to learn to walk now so when you come to the bridge, you can cross it. That the reason my grandparents' marriage lasted as long as it did, even though my grandmother has sucked literally the life out of my grandfather, that literally he's changing her diapers because he's learned to love. That he's learned to sacrifice. And that if we are to be people who are going to have a successful marriage, then we have to be people who learn to love now. Honestly, when we get new people in this room, it's really hard for me to feel positive about it sometimes. Because y'all are like me. And though we are good-hearted people and we love people or we like people, 
it's kind of hard for us to love them. See, for us to love someone new in this room or someone who walks in through those doors the next time we meet, it means that we truly have to sacrifice for them. That for us to make someone new comfortable, that means we have to sacrifice our comfort. That we have to be willing to say, I'm going to be uncomfortable for the sake of their comfort. I'm going to be willing to love them. That right now you have an opportunity to learn to love. That right now some of you on Sunday mornings are coming to our small groups or coming to your own small groups rather. And yet there are people in your group that you don't really know or even don't really like. And you haven't found resolution with them because you've been unwilling to love them. You've been unwilling to say, look, it's not about my needs, it's not about my wants, but it's about loving you and sacrificing. It's about putting other people's priorities above our own. That for some of you, this should be a wrecking ball in your life right now. That it's a place where we realize we aren't really loving anyone. That the only things we're doing for others are to benefit us. The beauty of the gospel is God says, no, what love is is me sacrificing for you. So that you may have salvation. So that you may be saved. So that I may get the glory so that you may know the best thing in this universe, which is me. God showed us love. God has allowed us to experience love so that we in our lives may reflect love, which is sacrificial, so that we may then be joined together with another person in his timing, not built on lust, not built on physical intimacy that happened before we were married, not built on any of these things that we want, but truly on love of giving them exactly what they need. I love, I'm gonna close with this. Ecclesiastes 4.9, it says, two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them. Also, if two lie down together, they will, need, they will keep warm. But if one, who can keep warm alone? It's the picture of love, of two being joined together by the unity of Christ saying, man, we are equally yoked and we have learned to love and we learn to sacrifice and we're not perfect, but we're working towards that And now God has blessed this relationship that we are giving each other and out loving each other. He says, man, that is where we find the joy of relationship. That is where we find the blessing of relationship. When we pay attention to how Christ has ordained them and organized them. And then we begin obedient to that. So I encourage you this week I encourage you today, I encourage you to look around even in this moment at the opportunities you have to learn to love. That the person right next to you is an opportunity for you to say, man, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice for them. I'm going to love them. 
that the next person you come in contact with at school or at your home or at this place, this church, this family that you don't know, it's an opportunity to say, man, I'm gonna get out of my comfort zone for them. I'm gonna choose to love. That means we choose to sacrifice. I challenge you, be someone who's willing to sacrifice, who's willing to cry out with your life about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. That the blessing comes as you learn to love. And then as the relationships pour in, that you do them well.